This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Mary Camario, professor of the Graduate School in Architecture and chair of the Hitchcock Professorship Committee. We are pleased, along with the Graduate Council, to present Carol Greider, this year's speaker in the Charles M. and Martha Hitchcock Lecture Series. As a condition of this bequest, we are obligated and happy to tell you how the endowment came to UC Berkeley. It is a story that exemplifies, in many ways, the campus link to the history of California and to the Bay Area. Dr. Charles Hitchcock, a physician for the Army, came to San Francisco during the gold rush, where he opened a thriving private practice. In 1885, Charles established a professorship here at Berkeley as an expression of his long-held interest in education. His daughter, Lily Hitchcock Coit, still treasured in San Francisco for her colorful personality as well as her generosity, greatly expanded her father's original gift to establish a professorship at UC Berkeley making it possible for us to present a series of lectures. The Hitchcock Fund has become one of the most cherished endowments of the University of California, recognizing the highest distinction of scholarly thought and achievement. Thank you, Lily and Charles, and now a few words about Carol Greider. Carol Greider is is internationally renowned for her important contributions to the field of molecular biology. She was awarded the 2009 Nobel Prize for Physiology of Medicine, along with Elizabeth Blackburn and Jack Zostak, for their discovery that genetic sequences known as telomeres are protected from progressive shortening by the enzyme telomerase. Greider discovered telomerase in 1984 while working with Elizabeth Blackburn at the University of California, Berkeley. Telomeres are essential, telomeres are essential to chromosome maintenance and stability. In the absence of telomerase, telomeres shorten progressively as cells divide, eventually leading to cell death or cellular senescence. Greider's understanding, Greider's breakthrough discovery of telomerase enzyme that allowed a mechanistic understanding of cellular reproduction opening new avenues of research into cancer and age-related diseases. Greider received her BA in biology from the University of California, Santa Barbara in 1983, her PhD in molecular biology at the University of California, Berkeley in 1987. She was a Cold Spring Harbor Fellow and later held a faculty position at the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory in Long Island, New York. In 1997, she joined the faculty of the Department of Molecular Biology and Genetics at Johns Hopkins University, where she is currently the Daniel Nathans Professor and Director of Molecular Biology and Genetics, as well as Professor of Oncology in the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Greider also directs her own research laboratory at the university, which conducts research into telomere function and structure. In recognition of her groundbreaking research, Greider has been named a fellow by the American Academy of Microbiology, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, and is a member of the National Academy of Sciences and the Institute of Medicine. 
In addition to her Nobel Prize for Physiology of Medicine, she has received a number of other awards in the last 10 years, including the Perlmeister Greengard Prize, the Paul Ehrlich Ludwig Darmstadter Prize, the Catherine Birkin Judd Award, the Richard Lounsbury Award, the Dixon Prize in Medicine, the Wiley Prize in Biomedical Sciences, and the Louisa Gross Horowitz Prize. An amazing list. Greider has also published over 100 articles and book chapters. Please join me in welcoming Carol Greider back to Berkeley. It's really um, a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this uh, lecture series for um, a number of months now. Um, It's uh, always a pleasure to come back here uh, to Berkeley uh, and to be here uh, in the I-House. Not only did I uh, get my PhD uh, here at Berkeley, uh, but both my mother and my father received their uh, PhDs here at Berkeley. So it really is like a a homecoming. So um, thank you very much uh, for uh, for this invitation. So what I would like to do today is to um, give you a a sense of uh, the background of uh, why we thought telomeres and telomerase uh, were interesting um, and take you on a little bit of a a journey uh, from the initial uh, discovery of the function of telomeres uh, through how now we understand uh, they play a role uh, in age-related disease. Um, So the theme of this lecture is going to be that curiosity-driven research can establish fundamental knowledge that fuels practical applications. So we'll start at the beginning, or perhaps we'll start at the end, uh, because telomeres are at both uh, the beginning and the ends of chromosomes. Uh, So if you have uh, within uh, a cell uh, the nucleus, and in the nucleus um, are all of the chromosomes, uh, and this is a blow-up of uh, one of those chromosomes. And so most of uh, what is studied in uh, the field of molecular biology um, occurs uh, along the length of the chromosomes where all of the genes and the control elements lie. Um, But we'll be focusing today on this region um, at the end, uh, which is called uh, the telomere. Telomeres provide two really important uh, functions for the cell. First of all, they have to protect the chromosome ends. They protect the chromosome ends from anything that would chew away uh, a nucleus that may chew away from the end. They protect the ends from uh, recombination with other ends, and they protect the ends uh, from fusion uh, with other ends. So this is a really essential function for chromosome maintenance. The other thing that telomeres have to do is to um, allow uh, the maintenance of chromosome length. Uh, And we'll be going through um, why that uh, is very important uh, throughout uh, most um, of the rest of the talk. So telomeres were first functionally defined uh, by H.J. Muller and by Barbara McClintock uh, back in the um, late 30s uh, and uh, early 40s. So um, Muller, working in uh, Drosophila, um, showed that telomeres were essential uh, to uh, protect uh, chromosome ends, uh, and uh, McClintock was working uh, in the... um, uh, the plant, maize, uh, or corn, and also came to the same conclusion uh, that the telomeres uh, were necessary for protecting uh, the chromosome ends. Uh, so this was a very uh, early discovery, and it wasn't uh, possible to really uh, understand in uh, molecular detail uh, what a telomere was or how it carried out its function uh, until it was uh, characterized um, at the uh, very molecular level. Uh, and so that um, occurred uh, in the 1970s, Uh, 
with this uh, organism here, uh, Tetrahymena thermophila. So Tetrahymena is a single-celled ciliated protozoan. If you went to uh, the, the creek, uh, you'd be able to take some pond water and see ciliates uh, swimming around. Uh, and uh, the Tetrahymena is very unique because a single cell contains 40,000 chromosomes. So this was the organism of choice uh, to try and identify what is the molecular uh, basis for the function um, of these telomeres. And so uh, in 1978, uh, Elizabeth Blackburn, working together uh, with Joe Gall, um, were able to uh, define uh, the molecular uh, sequence, the DNA sequence, that's at the very end um, of the chromosome. And what they found is that there was a very uh, simple uh, repeated DNA sequence. So uh, the DNA has normally four different building blocks, T, G, C, and A. Uh, And in this case, it was simple repeats of two Ts followed by four Gs, and then hundreds of those repeats uh, on the ends of the chromosomes. So this was a a very important um, initial finding because it then allowed additional experiments to be carried out to understand the function of telomeres. So here's uh, Joe Gall uh, and Liz Blackburn. Um, I'm going to uh, introduce uh, a number of the people along the way uh, because one of the themes uh, in in science is, of course, it's not just one person making a discovery, uh, but many people building on uh, what others have done. So I'll try and give you a flavor of some of the people that have done the experiments that I'm talking about as I go along. So the first identification of the DNA sequences um, of telomeres, as I said, uh, was in this uh, ciliated protozoan tetrahymena, and the telomere sequence was identified as T2G4, uh, repeats of this sequence. Uh, And then subsequent work by a number of other uh, laboratories uh, was able to show uh, that very similar tandemly repeated simple GT-rich sequences were present in a variety of other organisms. Uh, So, for instance, uh, in fungi, uh, there's a a model organism, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and here the sequence was T followed by either one, two, or three G residues. Uh, And then I'll also be talking about the human uh, telomeric sequence, and in all vertebrates, including humans, the sequence is T-T-A-G-G-G, repeated many times. So this theme, it turns out, um, repeats itself uh, throughout uh, various organisms. And this is one thing that's very nice about working on something that is very fundamental to biology, uh, and that is that um, the same themes occur throughout many different organisms. So the telomeric DNA contains these tandem repeats of simple sequences. And of course, uh, most of the DNA in a cell uh, is double-stranded. So you have uh, both the uh, TG-rich sequence as well as a CA-rich sequence. Um, although there is a region at the very end of the chromosome uh, in which it's, uh, it's single-stranded. But in order to carry out this function uh, of telomeres, you require not just the DNA, but of course there have to be uh, proteins that bind to that DNA that actually carry out the function um, of, of the, uh, protecting the chromosome. And in mammalian cells, this is um, a complex of proteins uh, called the sheltering complex, which protect uh, the chromosome ends. And so there are proteins that bind along the length of the double strand of the DNA, uh, proteins that bind to those proteins, and then proteins that also protect uh, the single-strand region. And it's together this complex of the proteins in the DNA that carry out the telomere function uh, that we'll be uh, discussing today. So it turns out that um, it was... Uh, 
first hypothesized uh, by, by Jim Watson uh, and, and by others, that if you look at the mechanism by which chromosomes are copied every time a cell has to divide, uh, that it was predicted that the chromosomes should shorten from their ends every time the cell divides. And this is because of the, um, the molecular mechanism that replicates uh, the entire uh, length of the chromosome. So what one would predict is that every time a cell divides, the telomeres should shorten uh, from their ends. And so you would have um, a loss um, of these uh, telomeric repeats. Um, However, uh, it turns out that the way most uh, organisms that have these linear chromosomes uh, overcome this problem in replication uh, is through this enzyme uh, telomerase. And and that's what um, we were able to show um, uh, from tetrahymena. So you may have some telomere shortening here, um, but then the telomerase will add these repeats back onto the ends of chromosomes so that chromosomes aren't a unique length. Rather, there's an equilibrium. There's always some shortening and then some lengthening and some shortening and some lengthening. And that way, uh, the average length of the average telomere is maintained over time. So this is a rather Baroque mechanism that doesn't really avoid the shortening problem, but rather overcomes it. So we've been interested in this uh, telomerase uh, enzyme for a number of years, and of course we don't usually look at it as this kind of a, a little cartoon. We're interested a little bit more in the, the details of the mechanism, but I won't really have a chance to um, get into uh, many of those details um, here today, uh, but I'll just show you some of the components uh, that go into um, this uh, telomerase so that I can tell you um, a little bit about uh, how we study uh, its role. So the telomerase is a really uh, remarkable uh, enzyme. Um, It actually contains uh, protein components as well as an essential RNA component. So this is um, unusual for uh, an enzyme. So this stick figure here is meant to represent um, the RNA component of telomerase. And the RNA component of telomerase actually has a region which can uh, base pair uh, with the telomere to be able to add these telomeric repeats uh, onto the ends of the chromosome. And I'm introducing this um, not so much today to tell you about how telomerase does this, which is really a fascinating question, but rather to introduce you to the uh, components of telomerase that I'll be discussing uh, throughout the talk. So this uh, protein here that uh, carries out uh, telomerase function, um, we call a TERT for telomerase reverse transcriptase. Uh, and so this carries out the catalytic function of telomerase. Uh, and this RNA component we imaginatively call telomerase RNA, abbreviated uh, TR. So you'll be hearing about uh, these components uh, throughout um, the rest of the talk. So having discovered that the way that telomeres are maintained uh, rather than having them shorten every time the cells divide, rather to be maintained by telomerase, we were very curious uh, to know um, what would happen um, if you don't have telomerase. What would be the consequence of um, not being able to elongate the telomeres? Um, And so that led us and a number of other labs uh, to uh, two really fundamental um, consequences um, of telomerase. Um, So the question is, why does telomerase matter? And it turns out that it's required for all cells that have to divide many times. Um, So I'll be telling you a little bit of a a story where telomerase is required uh, for the growth of cancer cells. Uh, So if you imagine that you have a particular um, set of cells here, one of those cells undergoes some kind of a genetic change which allows it to divide more times than it normally should. 
So that's this red cell here. And that red cell then uh, will go and divide many more times relative to the other cells around it. And it turns out, in order for that cell to continue dividing uh, and form that tumor, it has to solve this telomere problem. That is, the problem with the telomere shortening every time the cells divide. So these cancer cells need to have telomerase in order to maintain their telomeres to go on uh, and continue dividing. So I'll tell you uh, a little bit about that. Telomerase is also essential for um, a number of other cells uh, in our body, um, which have to also divide many times. And these would be uh, stem cells or tissue-specific stem cells, uh, where you have a cell that makes uh, a copy of itself, but then also has to make what are called pluripotent stem cells. These are are cells that will go on uh, and make the final tissue. Uh, So this, again, are cells that have to divide many times in order to replenish uh, the other uh, cells uh, in the body. So these are the two uh, areas that <clears throat> telomerase clearly plays um, an important role. And we'll be talking uh, toward the end of the talk about how uh, this role here uh, plays a role uh, in age-related degenerative disease. So we were very curious about uh, the role of telomerase and, and what might happen if you didn't have telomerase. So we set out uh, to generate um, a mouse uh, which doesn't have uh, this activity. So instead of being able to maintain uh, the telomeres by adding repeats onto the end, uh, we generated a knockout, so it had no telomerase um, at all. Uh, and then we wanted to study um, what happens uh, to that mouse um, when the telomeres get to be short. So the way that we uh, generated this uh, mouse that doesn't have telomerase was we had identified, um, as I told you, the telomerase RNA. That's abbreviated here TR. Uh, the M stands for the mouse, so it's the mouse version of the uh, telomerase RNA. Um, and we generated uh, mice because uh, mice uh, are diploid. Of course, they have uh, two copies um, of chromosomes, one from their mom and one from their dad. So we, uh, we generated these mice, which were heterozygous, in which they have one normal copy of the telomerase RNA, and then the other copy is just missing the telomerase RNA. So it's uh, minus. So it has uh, one copy instead of two copies. When you then take two such mice uh, and you breed them together, um, uh, as Mendel told us from uh, genetics, what you would get by breeding these two mice together is you get mice that have two copies of the telomerase RNA, mice that are heterozygotes, or have, um, like their parents, one uh, normal copy and one missing copy, or you get the mice that are completely um, null for telomerase and have uh, no enzyme whatsoever. So we generated these mice, uh, and uh, remarkably, the mice were perfectly fine. Uh, There was nothing wrong with them um, at all. Uh, And so we were, were curious what might happen over time with these mice. So we designated these mice as the uh, G1, that is, the first generation that lack telomerase. Uh, So these G1 mice were then bred to each other. And of course, you breed the G1 mice. These are null. Uh, You get the G2 uh, knockout mice. Uh, You breed those mice together. You get G3, et cetera, G4, G5, uh, and G6. Uh, And I'll be showing you that in these G6 animals, we can't get a later generation because one of the things that happens is these mice become infertile. There are a number of other consequences um, of the loss of telomerase, uh, but we don't get uh, future generations. So as these mice are breeding, what we found is that uh, the telomeres with each generation of mouse were getting shorter and shorter. So the cartoon version of this um, is shown here. Uh, We breed the G1 mice and we get the G2 
we take these two G2 mice, and now the G3 mice have shorter telomeres uh, than their parents did. And then you breed the G3 mice uh, to each other, uh, and the G4 mice have even shorter telomeres. So uh, with uh, progressive generations, there was progressive uh, telomere shortening. And the way that we actually look at this uh, in the laboratory um, is a very nice uh, visual assay uh, that was developed um, by uh, Peter Lansdorp. Um, And what this is is um, a way to look at all of the chromosomes uh, in the mice. So these are metaphase spreads. So you take uh, the the cells um, when they're about to divide, uh, and you can um, visualize the chromosomes, which are shown here in blue, uh, with a stain that's staining the DNA. Uh, and then the telomeres are, are visualized um, with a, a fluorescent uh, probe uh, that recognizes the telomere. And the uh, intensity of this spot, that is how many um, uh, probes are hybridizing there, is proportional to how long the telomere is. So the brighter the spot, that means you have a longer telomere. Um, and this is a very nice assay because you can actually see what's happening uh, to the chromosomes. So this is how we were able to uh, look at telomere length. Uh, And what we found uh, when you uh, breed these mice down uh, in this nice uh, line here um, is if you look at the uh, intensity of each one of those red dots from before uh, versus the number of dots that have that intensity, you have this nice distribution. And this distribution is the normal way that telomeres are maintained, and they're maintained about this equilibrium because there's some shortening and lengthening and shortening and lengthening. However, With each generation, now, this is the the G2, the G4, and the G6, uh, you can see uh, that there's progressively shorter and shorter uh, telomeres with each generation uh, that these uh, mice are bred. One of the nice things about um, this uh, visual assay where you're actually looking at the chromosomes is that we could show uh, that not only are we losing telomeric sequence with each generation, but we're actually losing telomeric function. and, and I'll be telling you in, uh, in just a minute uh, that um, we, we see uh, effects, that is, uh, phenotypes uh, in these later generation mice uh, that we don't see uh, in the, the first generation mice, uh, indicating that the short telomeres are, are what's causing um, effects in these mice. So when we actually look um, at the, the different generations um, of mice, uh, here is the uh, wild-type uh, mouse chromosomes uh, that I showed you with these um, red dots on the ends of the chromosomes. Um, and you can see that these uh, mouse chromosomes look like these little boomerangs. They look like little, little Vs um, because the, um, the, the centromere is all the way along one end of the chromosome. So they're attached here, uh, and then the two long arms are going off here. So you see uh, this nice spread of mouse uh, chromosomes. Uh, in the second generation, you also see that, and also the fourth, uh, and in the sixth. But what was remarkable is that in these uh, very later generations, what you see here is what looks like two chromosomes that have now fused through their ends. Instead of being uh, little boomerangs, uh, they're two that are attached to each other. And what that indicates is that not only have we lost telomere sequence, but we've lost telomere function. Because I told you that what telomeres do is to protect the chromosome ends, and it protects them from these kinds of of recombination. So we can actually see this uh, loss of telomere function uh, visually. So the the mice, uh, once they get to be uh, in the uh, fifth uh, and sixth generation, uh, it turns out um, have a number of um, problems with them. So I mentioned in the testes uh, that these mice um, become infertile. Uh, So there's actually a cell death um, of the germ cells. Uh, In the intestine, 
the uh, normal intestinal cells, which allow uh, cell turnover, um, uh, isn't uh, uh, occurring properly, so you have this atrophy. Uh, in the blood, uh, there's bone marrow failure, so the blood is one cell type uh, where you have to have cells uh, continually uh, renewing because um, blood cells um, are dying uh, every day. Uh, in the skin, there's decreased wound healing, uh, and there was premature uh, graying um, of these uh, late-generation mice. Uh, and it was remarkable that all of these uh, phenotypes seen in these mice were seen uh, in the fifth and sixth-generation mice. Okay, They were seen when the telomeres were short, but not in the first-generation mice when telomerase was absent. So what that tells us is that it takes some time for the telomeres to get short, and it must be the short telomeres that are causing these effects. Okay, so it's not the absence of the telomerase enzyme, because if it were the absence of telomerase, you would see that in the very first generation. The fact that we have to wait for six generations means it must be the short telomeres that are causing these effects. So I'm going to tell you now um, about uh, work from uh, a student who was able to show um, that it was actually the shortest telomeres uh, that that caused this effect. Uh, And this was uh, Mike Heeman. And uh, Mike did a a series of experiments uh, crossing uh, mice with long telomeres and mice with short telomeres. And what he was able to to show is that it's actually the shortest telomere uh, that leads to either cell death or senescence. So just like um, the different uh, generations of mice, the uh, mice with the long telomeres, there's no effect. Uh, As those cells are dividing now, the telomeres become short. uh, And the shortest telomere uh, in the cell is actually recognized and it tells the cell um, that there is uh, uh, damage going on, and what happens is the cells either undergo uh, cell death uh, or cellular senescence. So cell death, uh, you actually get the absence of the cells, and cellular senescence uh, is a phenomenon where the cells just stop dividing, and they won't divide any further, uh, but they're still uh, staying around. Uh, So it is clearly the short telomeres uh, that are causing uh, this effect. So we were interested then in the consequence um, of this um, uh, short telomeres uh, causing cell death. And so I'll tell you uh, one short story um, where we were interested in uh, how this may play um, a role in cancer. So we were interested in um, a particular uh, kind of cancer, and that's a a cancer that causes uh, B-cell lymphoma. So this is a um, a, a uh, leukemia-type cancer. Uh, And a model mouse had been developed uh, and we uh, call that mouse uh, EmuMic because this uh, expresses um, a particular uh, oncogene. Uh, and, and this mouse uh, had been characterized, and it's very tumor-prone uh, and will uh, develop uh, this B-cell lymphoma. Uh, so what we were able to do then is to cross this uh, with the telomerase null mouse and ask what happens um, when telomerase is not there. Uh, can that tumor uh, go on uh, and develop? And so, um, of course, we have to be able to um, understand what happens uh, when you first get rid of telomerase. Uh, so we look at the, uh, the first generation, uh, the emu-mic mice that are G1, and then, of course, have to breed uh, and get the G2 mice, the G3 mice, et cetera, um, all the way up uh, through the G6 mice uh, to understand uh, the role of the short telomeres in this uh, development um, of the tumor. So what we find is that there's a a change in the survival of the mice due to uh, these tumors. And so I'll just walk you through this uh, graph here. 
This shows uh, the percent of mice uh, that are alive at the beginning of the experiment uh, versus the number um, of days. And so what's shown uh, in the black line here uh, is this mouse which has been made prone to these B-cell lymphomas. And so at the start, 100% of the mice are alive. But if you follow this black line, uh, you can see that um, as time progresses, at 100 days, about half of these mice have died, and they've all died of this B-cell lymphoma. So they get this tumor uh, at a very high rate. If we now look um, at the mice which were absent for telomerase, so they now don't have telomerase, but they're the very first generation that lack telomerase. What you find is a very similar curve here in blue, Um, So all of these mice um, are dying um, of B-cell lymphoma, uh, and they all um, have succumbed to this lymphoma uh, by about 200 days. However, in contrast, when we breed that out to the sixth generation, where now the telomeres are very short uh, in these mice, uh, what we find is that um, although there there are some mice that die um, early on, uh, most of the mice now um, survive Um, And what you can uh, see in these mice is that um, lymphoma started to grow, but then it stopped growing. And it stopped growing because the telomeres were very short. And as I told you, the short telomeres then cause either cell death or cellular senescence, so they couldn't go on uh, and form uh, that tumor cell. Um, And so this is one indication uh, that the the short telomeres will limit Uh, the growth of cells, and in this setting, it's limiting the growth um, of these cancer cells. So the short telomeres uh, will block the tumor growth. They don't block the early stages that cause the cancer, but what they do is they block the growth of the cancer cells. So the telomerase itself isn't playing a role in the initiation of the cancer. However, when you have uh, short telomeres, uh, after those cells uh, start to grow for a while, uh, you now uh, block at this stage, um, and the cells can no, no longer go on uh, and form uh, the full-blown tumor. So this was the work of David Felder, who was a, another uh, graduate student um, uh, in the laboratory, uh, who was breeding uh, these telomerase null mice to the uh, B-cell lymphoma mice. So um, the other uh, aspect I would like to uh, focus on now for the rest of the talk uh, is the role of telomerase um, in tissue renewal. Um, So we were very interested in uh, some of the uh, early uh, effects that we saw uh, in our sixth-generation telomerase knockout mice, and we wanted to understand uh, a little bit uh, more clearly what happens in normal tissues uh, when you don't have um, telomerase and the telomeres uh, become short. So um, a number uh, of years uh, earlier, uh, we had been involved in a a collaboration uh, with Cal Harley, uh, where uh, we had shown, and others have also shown, uh, that if you take uh, normal human cells and you uh, put those into culture and you grow them for a number of cell divisions, it turns out what happens is that the telomeres shorten progressively um, as the cells are dividing. Uh, so this is uh, this end replication problem uh, that, I, that I told you about. Uh, and so what is shown here is um, a representation of the uh, distribution of telomere lengths in human cells. Again, there's this heterogeneity um, of, the, of the telomere lengths. Uh, and as these cells um, are dividing, uh, the length of this telomere actually decreases 
as the cells are dividing in culture. So this was uh, a first indication uh, that telomerase uh, may play a role, that short telomeres may play a role uh, in the um, inability of uh, human cells uh, to continue uh, to divide. Um, and then uh, a similar phenomenon is actually seen um, in people, not in cells and culture, but rather with people um, of different age. So if you uh, look at the, uh, the mean telomere length um, and the way that we get that mean telomere length, uh, is, uh, this is a representation of the telomere length. And so you can determine uh, how long a telomere is here versus how long uh, the mean telomere is here. Uh, and if you simply uh, plot this on this graph here and look at mean telomere length versus the age of the person from which you uh, took those uh, blood cells, so this is now in uh, normal human uh, white blood cells, what you find is that there is a progressive shortening of the telomeres uh, with increasing numbers of cell division. Now, um, at first, what we thought that this might represent is uh, the fact that um, these white blood cells might not have telomerase activity, and therefore the telomeres are shortening progressively. Although what I'm going to show you um, is that they do have some telomerase activity, but the number of times white blood cells have to divide outstrips the uh, ability of the telomerase to be able to keep up and elongate the telomeres. So over this long uh, course of uh, cell divisions, uh, what you see is this progressive telomere shortening uh, in the bulk of the white blood cells um, in, these, uh, in, in all uh, normal individuals. So uh, the point that I'm going to make is that uh, telomerase is limiting in cells. There's really just enough telomerase activity in order to keep up with telomeres on the the chromosomes that are where the telomeres are the shortest. So um, this uh, story comes from uh, a number of different angles, uh, but the the first hint that uh, the uh, short telomeres might play a role in human disease came actually, again, from understanding molecular components, just like understanding the molecular component um, of the uh, telomere DNA sequence allowed us to understand what happens with telomere shortening. Uh, In this case, it's understanding uh, the structure of the um, RNA component. So uh, the uh, telomerase RNA um, has this uh, structure here, um, and uh, it was uh, first identified uh, in, um, with uh, Kathy Collins' lab here at Berkeley, uh, and also uh, in my lab, that um, there's this uh, particular structure here uh, which binds to a set of proteins, in addition to this TERT protein, Uh, which is necessary for telomerase activity, there's a set of proteins uh, that binds to this structure. uh, And one of those proteins um, involves uh, this uh, protein here called discarin. Uh, And this discarin protein was known to be uh, involved in uh, human genetic disease. And so that then led uh, to just the the next year um, after this, um, a publication by um, a group of human geneticists who were very interested in this disease, uh, dyskeratosis congenita. And I'll tell you just in a second what dyskeratosis congenita um, is. Um, But what was happening here is that this group uh, was very interested in this inherited human disease. And so they were uh, mapping in families uh, this disease, not knowing what caused it. Um, And by doing this genetic mapping, they were then able to identify that in this case, uh, the cause was the RNA component of telomerase. So the title of the paper that was published in 2001, the RNA component of telomerase is mutated in autosomal dominant 
uh, dyskeratosis congenita. Um, so this uh, really uh, galvanized people to understand how it is that telomerase can play a role um, in this inherited uh, genetic disease. So the clinical manifestations of dyskeratosis congenita, it gets its name uh, because of skin uh, and nail problems, fingernails uh, and toenails. That's why uh, the term is dyskeratosis, because of the, uh, the keratosis in, the, um, uh, in the, uh, the, the fingernails and the skin. Uh, so uh, that's how the uh, physicians would see their patients. That was the most uh, common visual manifestation um, of this disease, although it was known uh, that the mortality of the disease uh, was due to bone marrow failure. Um, okay, so the uh, inability of the bone marrow to continue uh, making all of the normal blood cells that we uh, require uh, every single day. So this is an example um, of this uh, requirement uh, for, uh, for stem cells to differentiate into all of the different uh, blood cell types. So that uh, was the initial uh, characterization um, of the human uh, disease. And um, the question was, how is it that the telomerase uh, can play a role um, in, this, uh, in this human disease. So um, we got uh, involved with this um, at Johns Hopkins um, because a patient came into the hematology clinic uh, at Johns Hopkins. Um, and uh, as I was mentioning, uh, we don't um, uh, do science in a vacuum. We talk to our colleagues. And um, I was uh, talking with a variety of the people in the, uh, the clinical departments uh, to understand how to, uh, to study uh, the blood cell um, effects. Uh, and this patient came in, and this is uh, the, um, the family of this patient, but uh, this patient uh, came into the clinic um, and uh, was diagnosed as um, having uh, this disease, uh, dyskeratosis congenita. And so at the time, uh, Mary Armanios um, decided to uh, understand uh, more about this family uh, because what was known was that uh, this keratosis congenita was often mutations in this RNA component of telomerase. So she brought these individuals uh, within uh, this family into the clinic uh, and was able to identify that there weren't mutations in the RNA component of telomerase, but there were mutations in the protein component of telomerase. So again, this is a telomerase-mediated disease. And I show you this family, uh, this uh, individual that came into the clinic, um, and his father and his grandmother, and those individuals here shown in black had these changes, these mutations in the telomerase uh, in the family. Um, And uh, so this uh, inheritance of this disease uh, was shown to be autosomal dominant. And I'll tell you a little bit about uh, what we know about that autosomal dominant inheritance. One of the remarkable things about this family um, was that the the disease showed something that we call genetic anticipation. Um, And that's a fancy way of saying uh, that with each generation that has the disease, there's an earlier onset of the disease and more severity of the disease, okay? Um, and this may remind you of our telomerase knockout mouse. In the telomerase knockout mouse, we didn't see anything in the first few generations, but then we saw effects in the later generations. And so the same thing seemed to be occurring uh, in this human family that, with this inherited uh, disease, The other thing that was really quite remarkable is that those people that were affected with the disease and had this bone marrow failure actually uh, were heterozygous. That is, they contained one normal copy and one mutant copy of the telomerase gene. 
And that was quite remarkable to us because in a lot of human genetic diseases, you have to have two mutant copies in order to actually have an effect. Um, so this really got us thinking about how could it be um, that you could be um, heterozygous, that is, have one normal copy and one mutant copy. And so as geneticists, what we, what we thought about um, was two molecular mechanisms that might underlie uh, this inheritance pattern uh, in these families. Um, and one of those is what's called dominant negative, and the other is haploinsufficiency. So what that basically means is that if you have one mutant copy and one normal copy, it could be that the mutant copy actually binds to the normal copy and takes it out of function. So that's a dominant mechanism. That the, the mutant is dominant over uh, the, the normal copy. An alternative would be that you have one mutant copy and one normal copy, and it's just not enough to have one normal copy of the telomerase. Uh, and so we realized that we were in the position where we could test this genetically uh, directly in our mice. So that's what we set out to do, was to determine whether there's a dominant effect or uh, whether it's haploinsufficiency. And what I'll tell you is our evidence that it's actually haploinsufficiency. It's just not enough to have only one copy of the, uh, the functional telomerase. So um, what's shown here is a, a representation of the, uh, the telomeres again. Uh, this is a, um, a southern blot, but now we're looking um, at uh, mice. Uh, so these are um, the, the mice that we had initially been uh, characterizing. Uh, and you can see that there's this very, very uh, long uh, heterogeneous uh, size uh, to the telomeres in this particular strain of mice. Um, however, we looked at a variety of other strains of mice, uh, and this is one that's shown here. And you can see that the, uh, the long telomeres that are here in this uh, initial strain now are represented by a much uh, less heterogeneous uh, and shorter uh, telomere length uh, in this other strain of mice that we call uh, castaneous uh, for cast EI. And so we thought that we would be able to um, see uh, what's actually happening to telomeres much more easily um, on this new genetic background. Uh, and I'll just re represent that um, here. So um, if you imagine that you have this um, telomere length with the signal intensity of, um, of those uh, red spots, the original mouse that we were using had very long heterogeneous telomeres. However, this new mouse um, has much shorter, much more homo homogeneous telomeres. And so what we imagined might happen would be um, after you have uh, telomere shortening, if there's a, a threshold uh, below which the telomeres have to go before you have some sort of functional consequence, when you have telomere shortening um, in these settings, a much higher proportion of the cells would fall below this threshold when you have this much more homogeneous uh, telomere length. Um, and so that's what we had set out to do, was to generate mice uh, that now have uh, a much more homogeneous uh, set of telomeres. Uh, and uh, these experiments actually were initiated by uh, Mike Heeman, who I showed you earlier, and then um, continued by uh, Ling Yong Hao, um, who then um, uh, really had some uh, remarkable uh, discoveries. So um, what Ling Yong set out to do was to take these mice now, where we can um, see phenotypes more easily, and um, to ask what happens if these mice are always... Um, have one normal copy and one mutant copy. That is, they are maintained as heterozygous mice. Okay, so rather than breeding these mice and looking at the mice that have no telomerase, 
Now we're breeding these mice and looking, uh, just like in the human studies, of always having the case of having one normal copy and one uh, wild-type copy. So that's what we call the heterozygous generation one, heterozygous generation two, heterozygous generation three. Uh, And what we saw was, remarkably, there is progressive telomere shortening as you breed these mice that have just one copy of telomeres instead of having two copies of telomeres. Um, And so I'll just uh, quickly show you uh, that, uh, that data to make that point. So if you have um, the signal intensity here, in wild type is shown in black, so you have this uh, telomere uh, length distribution. The knockout mouse have a shorter telomere length distribution, um, as we had previously uh, shown. Uh, but what was really important is that the heterozygous generation one mice, shown in gray, are shorter than the wild type. And more importantly, the heterozygous generation five mice are shorter than the heterozygous generation one showing that we actually have progressive telomere shortening when you have haploinsufficiency. Uh, so this was, uh, was quite um, remarkable. Uh, and, and that gets back to the point again that telomerase is limiting in cells, um, that having just half the level over a number of generations doesn't allow you uh, to be able to maintain telomere length. If you now look at the survival of those mice, and this is once again one of those survival curves that I showed you earlier, with the percent of mice alive versus the number of days, and I'll just have you focus um, on two of these curves, the wild type, so in black up here is the wild type uh, mice uh, over uh, 400 days, Uh, and down here the heterozygous generation 10 mice, Uh, now you see that there's a significant death of these mice Uh, due to the short telomeres. And there's actually, with each generation, there's a progressive decline um, in the uh, the viability of the mice. And this looks very much like uh, the genetic anticipation that's seen in the human families that have dyskeratosis congenita. So the inheritance of short telomeres decreases survival. And as I said, this resembles the genetic anticipation seen in dyskeratosis congenita. So these telomerase-deficient mice have many of the same defects uh, that are seen in the human patients. Bone marrow failure, uh, intestinal atrophy, immune senescence, they're uh, chemotherapy intolerant, and they show this uh, genetic anticipation. And the mortality in these mice is due primarily to these immune system defects. And all of these experiments uh, were, would not be uh, possible were it not for um, a, a really uh, remarkable um, uh, mouse handler here, uh, Margaret Strong, who did all of the uh, intricate breedings for these mice. So one of the um, uh, most interesting things about this set of experiments was, of course, every time uh, you breed uh, two mice that have are heterozygous, have one copy Uh, that's wild type and one mutant, uh, you get out a heterozygous generation, and we can breed these for uh, many generations. But at each uh, stage of breeding, we get out, of course, the wild type, the next generation heterozygote, and we get out the knockout. Uh, And I can remember when uh, Ling Yong Hao came into my office one day, and he said, I wonder what would happen if we looked at the telomeres of the wild type mice that come from these crosses. Um, and so uh, he did that, and um, what I'll show you here is we designate that wild-type star uh, because it turns out that with the progressive breeding in the heterozygous state, even the wild-type telomeres that come out uh, were short because telomerase is limiting uh, and the telomere lengths uh, weren't restored. 
So uh, that's shown here. Um, again, here's the uh, intensity um, of the telomeres, the length of the telomeres. Here's the wild-type telomere length, the knockout, just for reference. Uh, the heterozygous generation 5, I showed you earlier, um, is shorter than wild-type. But quite remarkably, the wild-type 5 star, that is the, uh, the littermates, the brothers and sisters uh, from these heterozygous mice, um, also have telomeres that are significantly shorter than their wild-type counterparts. And that's because telomerase is limiting. You don't have enough telomerase to go around and top up all of the telomeres in just one generation. So I've been making the point to you that it's the short telomeres that are causing these phenotypes. When the telomeres get short, you cause a damage response and the cells die. So quite remarkably, when we looked in these mice, these wild-type star mice also had the same effects as the mutant mice had. And, and this, uh, as I said, is quite remarkable. Uh, so if we look at uh, either the, uh, the testes uh, apoptosis, that is the, the cell death that occurs in the testes, or the immune system defects, if we look at the, the spleen weight, uh, the wild-type uh, star mice um, had significant reductions. So this was really quite remarkable, uh, because now we have uh, an inherited genetic defect, but even now in the case where the genetics is restored, the telomere length hasn't been restored, and we still have an effect. So we called this, uh, this genetic disease, in the absence of the telomerase mutation that caused the disease, we called that an occult genetic effect, a, a hidden genetic effect. And it's because the telomeres themselves haven't yet been restored uh, to their normal telomere length. And now this might be um, a kind of a cute uh, little trick that is, um, okay, so we have something we now call it occult genetics, but it actually um, matters because... Recall, this is an inherited uh, human genetic disease, and you have these individuals walking around uh, that have heterozygous mutations, and the only way to treat a number of these uh, individuals, for instance, who have bone marrow failure, is with the bone marrow transplant. So you can imagine if you have a telomerase mutation in the family, and you have one brother that needs a bone marrow transplant because he has short telomeres, that his brother or his cousin who may not have the mutation in telomerase, might still have short telomeres. Um, and so it's important to know what the telomere length is the, of the, uh, the donor bone marrow rather than just the genetics. So this, this actually uh, matters to the, uh, the treatment of this human disease. So it's the short telomeres, not the absence of telomerase that's causing the disease. So um, just to, uh, to round out uh, this story, it turns out uh, that having identified uh, this uh, genetic anticipation where you see this worsening of phenotype in an earlier onset um, of this bone marrow failure, uh, it turns out that there are other uh, diseases that these short telomeres are causing besides the bone marrow failure. And so the first one uh, to be identified was something called um, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Um, idiopathic because we didn't know what caused it. And it turns out that it's, it's caused by the short telomeres. Uh, and this was recognized uh, by Mary Armanios uh, because she saw this uh, genetic anticipation uh, in this uh, family that had come into the clinic. Um, and so uh, it was identified that it was actually telomerase mutations uh, that underlie uh, this other human uh, genetic disease. Uh, and uh, as we've been able to uh, understand more fully, uh, Mary has been able to characterize uh, what she calls the syndrome of telomere shortening. That is, there are a number of different effects of having these short telomeres. There are these uh, bone marrow failure effects in the blood. 
the lung effects, the pulmonary fibrosis, uh, liver disease. Um, and as these studies are continually ongoing, um, it's, it's clear that there are going to be a number of different effects. And very interestingly, all of these diseases are actually diseases that are associated uh, with the normal aging process. That is, there are normal age-related degenerative disease. So even in families that haven't necessarily inherited one of these mutations, if you have short telomeres, you may be at risk for a number of these age-related degenerative diseases due to the short telomeres. So this is taken from uh, another group, um, and this is just an example of what I had shown you uh, previously. If you look at uh, telomere length versus age, and this is now just looking at white blood cells uh, from normal people, um, what you see is that there is this decrease in telomere length with age, but also what's really quite remarkable is there's a huge amount of heterogeneity within the human population. If you look at a large number of uh, individual people, um, you find that there's this, this great uh, decrease. And there's been um, a little bit of inf- information in, the, um, uh, in the, the lay press about how maybe telomeres can tell you how old you are. Um, however, due to this, uh, of course... Hopefully you would know how old you are. But um, (laughs) uh, uh, the the telomeres could uh, determine if you didn't know how old someone was. But if you look at the heterogeneity here, and I gave you um, a sample um, of DNA, and uh, that DNA had telomeres that were 7 KB, okay, that person could be 20, or that person could be 70. So uh, it's not uh, something that's so determinative that we uh, we can say for sure if you have a certain telomere length that there's um, a particular effect. However... Um, this uh, heterogeneity uh, and this decrease in telomere length in the population, um, those individuals that have the shortest telomeres, we know are at risk uh, for disease. So you can model uh, this heterogeneity in the population uh, with uh, confidence intervals, and this was done by uh, Peter Lansdorp, and uh, Mary Armanios has also done that um, at Johns Hopkins. And so uh, what you get here is this uh, normal distribution. So if you look at telomere length versus age... Uh, These lines here uh, were developed on uh, 400 normal individuals, and you can say uh, that if you're above this line, then that's the 99th uh, percentile um, of telomere length. So so this is the the normal distribution of telomere length uh, in the population. And if you look now in a number of these families where you see uh, this inherited uh, genetic disease, uh, those uh, people in the families that uh, do not have the uh, telomerase mutation fall here around this 50th percentile. However, those individuals that do have the mutation typically fall uh, below uh, the first percentile. So those individuals with the shortest telomeres are the ones that are at risk for the bone marrow failure, the pulmonary fibrosis, and the liver complications. And as I I hope that I've been um, uh, making apparent, that since it's the short telomeres, not the mutation itself uh, that causes uh, the disease, um, any individual... Uh, that falls below the first percentile may be at risk for these disease, not just those that are um, in these families with these inherited syndromes. So many diseases that are seen in families with insufficient telomerase share features of these age-related degenerative disease. So uh, we know that bone marrow failure is, uh, in the normal population, uh, an age-related complication, as is immune senescence, chemotherapy intolerance, pulmonary fibrosis, typically is diagnosed uh, in the sixth or seventh decade. 
liver disease, uh, and also, uh, paradoxically, there's this increased uh, cancer incidence. Um, so the, the short telomeres may play a role in the wider population, um, not simply in the subset of people with um, inherited mutations in telomerase. So just to, uh, to summarize, I've told you that telomeres are required for chromosome end protection. Telomerase is essential for telomere length maintenance. Telomere shortening leads to either cell death or cell senescence after many cell divisions. Short telomeres limit tissue renewal and contribute to age-related degenerative disease. And then just to come back to the point about fundamental discoveries, new discoveries often come from unlikely places. When we set out to understand how it is that uh, telomeres are maintained on the ends of chromosomes due to replication, we weren't looking uh, to understand age-related degenerative disease or cancer. Um, But by following our curiosity, it turns out that um, the telomere clearly plays a role um, uh, in in both of these diseases. So curiosity-driven research provides unexpected discoveries that can have important implications for human health. And uh, these are the current uh, members uh, of my laboratory. Uh, we collaborate uh, with Mary Armanios and, and her group. And many of the experiments that I told you uh, were done by, uh, by past members. Um, and this is just a slightly older picture of my laboratory when they all dressed up as chromosomes. <laughs> and then the laboratory currently, it's a little out of focus, um, but this was the uh, political campaign for the American Society of Cell Biology. Uh, we are research giving a face to, um, to, human, um, to uh, uh, basic science. Uh, so I'll stop there. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.